couple weeks ago, I told you that I don't know how many weeks I'll preach uh, this series on table talk that we've been in. I've had so many thoughts that I could share about God's table. One of those thoughts is about the table in heaven that's waiting on all of us. Church, I really believe that it's set and ready. I believe that it is. From the beginning moments of time, God has been working on that table so that we might join Him there in perpetual fellowship and communion with the Lord. He was so determined to have us as His dinner guest that He sent His own Son to pay the bill on the cross before I ever even made my reservation. And today we're going to take a closer look at that table. But first, I want to recap. There may be some of you that have not been here for the first two messages of this series. The first week we talked about table manners. Because getting to the table of the Lord is not enough. We, we have to learn how to conduct ourselves and how to live and how to behave after we get to the table. We need to remember that we should keep our table manners when it comes to being at the Lord's table. We talked about that. We need to remember that our meal that we serve should always heal. It should always heal. Uh, we need to remember to not blow our nose. I know that's kind of funny. We talked about that at the table. But keeping our nose uh, as, as children of God and as, as fellow Christians, keeping our nose where it belongs, not to stick our elbows out where they don't belong and, and last but certainly not least we need to be inviting people and treating people to dinner at the table that could never repay us uh, and then we examined the second week what Jesus had to say about the table and in particular what he had to say about dinner guests and today we're going to take a closer look at the table in heaven and who will actually be at that table. If you will, I want you to stand with me all over the room. I'm going to read one verse of Scripture, and then we'll pray and get right into the message today. John the Revelator was writing in Revelations chapter 19 and verse 9. This is the message translation, but here's what he said. The angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those invited. Blessed are those invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. He added, these are the true words of God. I want to speak to you today. I want you to focus on the statement. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. I'm going to speak to you today in this third message in this series on empty seats. If you will, one more time, pray with me and for me. Father, we thank you for your presence today. We thank you for your anointing we've experienced in the worship. But God, now, as we come before you and break the bread of life, Lord, I pray that for the next few moments you'd remove every hindrance. God, I pray that every ear in this building and, and, and hearing the word by live stream today would, would hear what your word is saying to your people and that their hearts would receive your word and that, God, you would do only what you can do in their lives today. But, God, more than anything, condition them, prepare them, God, to hear, to receive, but also to respond to your word today. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, 
Amen. You may be seated. I began to think about a very familiar story uh, in history that you all know a lot about. And I thought, um, what relevance does it have to this story? But actually, if you rehearse the full account, it has a lot of relevance to what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the year 1620. In the year 1620, there was a small wooden ship that had been christened as the Mayflower. Many of you have heard this story. It set sail from Plymouth, England with a passenger list of around 102 people. It was bound for the New World colony of Virginia. That's where they were headed. But for those of you that think a nine-day cruise or a ten-day cruise sounds like a long time, after 65 days at the open sea, they finally saw their first glimpse of land and their new home, but it was not Virginia. It wasn't what they set out for. It was actually Cape Cod in what is now known as the state of Massachusetts. It was November, and the weather was already growing very cold. And since there was no good harbor and no place to land, the ship turned south in search of a place to go ashore. And after weeks of scouting for a suitable settlement area, the Mayflower's passengers finally landed at Plymouth Rock on December 26, 1620. The Mayflower's captain, Christopher Jones, had threatened to leave the pilgrims unless they quickly found a place to land. But the ship remained at Plymouth during that first terrible winter. Who were these passengers on this ship? I think that's important for us to understand. Most of them were people, think about this, true account of history, and this is what it says. Most of them were people who were seeking religious freedom and a new life and a chance to build a better life and a better nation for themselves. They had become what is known as separatists from the Church of England. Even though the Church of England had previously broken away from the Roman Catholic Church under the Pope, these separatists didn't feel like the break had been enough. And they desired even more reform. And listen at this. Historical account says this. And a greater measure of freedom to worship than what the Church of England would allow them to do. Now, because they were poor, working class people, they were unable to purchase tickets to come to the New World. So they made a contract with the Plymouth Trading Company. They would settle this new colony and work for the company for seven years as a payment for their land grants and the expenses of sailing to the colony and building and establishing this settlement. And when they left England, it didn't take very long until problems uh, began to arise. Along with these separatists, who then became known as pilgrims. That's, that's who they were. They were separatists. Along with those separatists or pilgrims were those who were crew and other passengers on board who were not religious at all. They were nothing. And so this second group was referred to or called strangers. That's where we get the terms pilgrim and strangers. And these pilgrims and strangers eventually had to learn to just tolerate one another. Anybody ever had somebody you've just had to learn to tolerate? They eventually had to learn to just tolerate one another before real trouble could develop. And they all agreed to what was known as the Mayflower Compact that established their own self-imposed government and laws. Now stay with me because I'm going somewhere. But not all of those who sailed from England, not everybody who got on the ship with the promise of religious freedom in the new world lived long enough 
to see those dreams come true. Two people died during that 65-day voyage, including one child who died three days before land was even sighted and the pilgrims arrived off the coast of the colonies. Due to the extreme winter conditions, lack of proper shelter and low supplies of food and medicine, think about this, nearly half of those 102 passengers who had landed in December, nearly half of them were dead before the snow melted and the spring came. And it's really doubtful that any of those who remained would have even survived that second winter had it not been for the friendly Indian tribe that lived in that area. Two Indians who you've heard in the story referred to as Samoset and Squanto taught the pilgrims how to grow corn. Now here you go farmers, listen to this. How to grow corn by building mounds of earth and placing a fish under the seed as fertilizer. Somebody say, ooh. And so it was that after two years in 1623, the pilgrims then invited these Indians to the first feast that we all know as Thanksgiving in remembrance of what God had done to help them survive and to help them establish their village after they first landed on Plymouth Rock. Now, I'm sure that they sat around that table on that first Thanksgiving. I'm sure that as they sat there, the heart of those who had survived was saddened by the fact that there were so many empty places at that table. Some had lost wives, some had lost husbands, and some had even lost children. I wonder, as I think about this story, how many would have actually made that journey to establish this new colony and change the course of history as we know it had they known ahead of time what hardships they would have to face along the way. Folks, many times in this life, we don't get any idea of the hardships that we have to face along life's journey. But yet in the face of every adversity, they had persevered. And now it was time to give thanks. They lived for religious freedom. And now they were going to obey the Word of God by doing what Paul said to do because sometimes... When you've done everything else you know to do, what you should have started with in the first place is obeying the Word of God. It's there for a reason. So they decided, we're going to get together. We're going to obey the Word of God by doing what Paul said that we should all do. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, he said, In everything, say everything. What's that mean? Everything. In everything. In every trial in every trouble, in every situation, in every sickness, in every loss, in every struggle, in every storm, in every adversity that you have to overcome in this life. In every single one of those things, do what? Give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I can just imagine that it was hard for them to give thanks to God when they thought of everybody else who had passed away. It was hard for them to be completely thankful when they weren't even really in the place that they wanted to be to start with. But they gave thanks anyway. And that's something 
that every single one of us, like it or not, in this life, we must learn to do. I want to talk to you for a few moments today about making and keeping your reservation. Now, how many of us can actually say that we are where we intended to be at this point in our lives? Anybody? Angie and I had a lot of time week before last to just think about, rehearse the prior 25 years of our marriage. And I said, Do you ever, did you ever think 25 years ago that we would be where we are doing what we're doing today? And i got to tell you, she laughed out loud. She said, absolutely not. When I married you, I never expected you to be a preacher. But she was thankful. And I was thankful for what God has done. And then we begin to talk about the next 25 years. What do you think it'll look like if God tarries and we live to celebrate our 50th? Well, when we said that, the first thing I thought of was I'll be 70 years old. So, just so you know, I won't be your pastor when I'm 70 years old. I'm going to preach as long as God gives me breath in my body. But like the rest of y'all, when I can retire, I'm going to retire. Somebody say amen. But I'm going to do God's work as long as God allows me breath in my body. So how many of us can actually say that we are where we intended to be at this point in our lives? Not many of us. And just as it was for those pilgrims and those strangers so many years ago, Reality is, we're all on a long journey. That's what this is. Actually, it's not as long as we think it is. It's really short in reality. But it's a long journey to us. Our destination is before us. And we have such great plans for the future most of the time here. But none of us know. None of us get the privilege of knowing the dangers or the troubles that we'll have to face in this life along our journey. We're looking for a new home, though. A new freedom and a new life in a new world. Is anybody looking forward to that one of these days? We are all pilgrims and strangers in this life. First of all, because this world is not our home. This world, we make this out to be much more than God ever intended for it to be. This is just a preparation place. A lot of the old saints used to call it a dressing room. This is just our opportunity to get dressed and ready for eternity. Now, we may not be facing the persecution from other people that those first pilgrims did, but you hear your pastor this morning. Most of us, if we'll admit it, we're face, facing a daily battle with the adversary of our souls. We're facing a daily battle with the devil. And rest assured, you rest assured, the day is coming when the persecution of Christians will become more and more real. As a matter of fact, I guess this is what separates me from ever being the pastor of a megachurch, if you could ever pastor a megachurch in a town the size of Corbin. But anyway, this is what separates me from being the pastor of a megachurch. A lot of people have already shied away of preaching the truth in this gospel because of fear of people getting offended, but also fear of the repercussions and the persecution they'll face if they preach the truth. But I want to tell you something this morning. I refuse to back down from the truth of the Word of God. I refuse. But you mark my word. There's coming a day when persecution of the church is going to become more and more real. As a matter of fact, I'm appalled sometimes at what some churches 
have endorsed and openly support. Most every mind in this room or watching me on live stream right now knows what I'm talking about. I'm appalled at what most churches, a lot of churches, I won't say most, a lot of churches openly support and endorse. But I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm not out to purposefully offend you. But I'm also not out to mislead you, misinform you, or deceive you. I'm out to preach you the truth that will take you to heaven lest you be deceived and on your way to hell. Somebody help me preach this morning. I'm not, I refuse to be one of those pastors. And every day there are new pilgrims who begin this journey, their own journey through life to that new home that God has prepared for those of us who love Him and serve Him. See, here's the reality. We each make our own personal contract with God. I can't make your contract for you. You can't make my contract for me. So the next time I preach something that makes you mad, just remind yourself I'm not responsible for his walk with God. Here's another good one for the church. Church people. The next time somebody in the church does something that disappoints you, remind yourself you're not responsible for their walk with God. They're responsible for their walk with God. We each make a personal contract between us and God. And we're supposed to give Him our lifetime of love, of service, and obedience in exchange for eternal life, that new life, that new freedom, and that new home. But the reality is there are many, many who begin this journey. And like those pilgrims who never survived the winter, They begin this journey, but they'll never stay the course or finish the race of life that's set before them. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, though, says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses of the life of faith. When I think about that huge cloud of witnesses, I think about people like Brother Benny Fields. A huge cloud of witnesses uh, to the life of faith. I think about folks in this church like Lisa Hart who passed away unexpectedly in a vehicle automobile accident on her way to to church to lead and do children's church. I think about folks like Ray White, who never lost the faith, was holding on to God for healing right to the very end. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us that are left here strip off every weight that slows us down. Watch this. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run. Anybody tried to do that in the physical lately? Run, not only run, run with endurance. The race that God has set before us. See, here again, this is what makes me a little unpopular sometimes. But here it is. Too many of us refuse to strip off that weight of sin. We like to carry it around. We like to hold on to it. Too many of us refuse to lay aside that weight of sin. Instead, they allow things to stay in their lives and hold them back and cause them to fall away from God and to go back into their old ways. They'll live for God while everything is perfect and everything's going the way they wanted it to, but they don't have any staying power because sin in their life saps their will to fight. They forget, hear me, They forget that they've made a reservation 
and they need to make sure and keep it. See, one day soon, and I believe it's going to be soon, the church is going to be taken away from this world. And we'll be pilgrims and strangers no more. We'll sit around our Father's great big table in heaven. And I believe we're going to have the greatest feast that you can ever imagine on that day. And all of God's people are going to be there. Many of us, like pilgrims long ago, we sit down every year at our holiday dinners, maybe Thanksgiving dinner, and there are empty places at the table. I can relate to that more than anybody. Every holiday, I miss my mama. Some of us have lost mothers. Some of us have lost fathers. Some have lost sisters, brothers, wives, husbands. And even people in this room right now, some have lost children. And those places are empty. And it's always a bitter sweet time. It's bitter because those who are no longer here with us. But it's also sweet because we know that somehow, some way, God has brought us through it and allowed us to see Another year. And there are always people that are still at the table that we love and that love us. But on that day in heaven, when we celebrate at that marriage supper of the Lamb, all of God's people will be there. Now, is there anybody besides me that likes a good wedding reception with great free food? Anybody? The, the best one that I have ever attended, in my opinion, was in the Grand Ballroom in, I believe it was the Hilton, downtown Cincinnati. And it was for a bride who was a former NFL cheerleader. And there were NFL players all over the room and part of them in the wedding. She married a guy who came from a super, and I mean super wealthy, multi-millionaire family in that area. And it was in the grand ballroom of the Hilton downtown. Everything was elaborate. The decorations were elaborate. The food, oh my, we ate prime rib. We ate lobster. We ate crab legs. We ate shrimp. Oh, I'm, y'all are getting hungry right now, aren't you? Everything was elaborate. Everything was expensive. Everything was grand. But if you can only imagine the largest most grand wedding celebration that you've ever seen and then multiply that by about a million, folks, that's what we've got to look forward to one day in heaven. And all of those who have died in Christ, Brother Benny, Sister Lisa, uh, Ray White, and I could name uh, hundreds more, all of those who have died in Christ will be there. You know who else will be there? All of us that are left right now who get caught up in the rapture. When the Lord comes back for His church, we'll all be there. And what a grand reunion that's going to be one of these days. And I want to tell you something this morning or this afternoon now. It might be even sooner than we think. Perhaps we might even be celebrating in glory before this time next week. Have you ever thought about that? Do you ever think about that? What if God, what if God comes to take His church home 
before next Sunday. We could all be celebrating the wedding reception in heaven. I want to tell you this morning, God is, church, God is so good to all of us. He saved our soul. That's why I can't help but get excited sometimes when we worship. Some people say, why do y'all worship like that? I don't know. Maybe we realize what God's done for us and you just ain't got it yet. But sometimes I get so excited when I think about how he saved my soul. He lifted every single one of us, every single one of us, out of, miry, out of a miry pit of sin. Did you know every one of us was found in a miry pit of sin? Whether you've done big sins that you classify as big sins in your mind or whether you feel like you ain't never really done much of anything wrong, he still picked you up out of a miry pit of sin. Set your feet on a rock, Jesus Christ, and he's given you eternal life. He supplied our every need and carried us through. I can testify to you, He's carried me through some of the roughest, toughest times of my life. God is faithful. Just like that song says, all my life, He has been faithful. Whew. All my life, He has been so, so good. With every single breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. God is faithful and we should always be found giving Him praise. But if we're there by this time next week, I wonder how many empty places will be at that table in heaven. Now, I know that in reality there won't really be any actual empty seats at that table because the moment before Jesus Christ returns for his bride, which is the church, we're his bride, that's why it's a wedding reception, the moment before he returns for his church, every reservation that's going to be made will have been made. And every place will be set and the plans will be finalized. And if, if your name is written down in that Lamb's book of life and you've been a faithful servant to your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you will have a place at that table. Somebody else say praise the Lord. But the most devastating thought is that there will be many who aren't there. There'll be a lot of people who call themselves Christians even who won't be there. Because this word says no lukewarm. That's what it says. No half-hearted. No uncommitted servants will be invited. What that scripture say? Blessed are those invited to the wedding supper. And you know where they'll be? They'll be outside the door. And I believe they'll see what's going on inside. But they won't be a part of it. You say, now pastor, that's, that's strong. I don't think God will do that to people. They might not go to heaven, but he's not going to torment them by making them watch what's going on. Remember what Jesus himself said in the last message I preached found in Luke chapter 14 and verse 24. Watch what he said again, the second half of the verse. He said, let me tell you, not one of those originally invited is going to get so much as a bite at my dinner party. Not one. Who are those people? Oh, those were the people that he invited to the dinner party and they said, oh, I can't come. I'm too busy. I got to go see about my land that I just bought. Another one even said, I, got, I just got married. I got to go spend time with my bride. I ain't got time. And that even sounds like a pretty good excuse. It does to me. But even the Lord said, mm -mm, that's not a good excuse. Not a one of them who was originally invited and turned down the invitation is going to get so much as a bite at my dinner party. While we were gone, 
week before last. We Angie loves Charleston, so we made plans to do dinner someplace. We she's got sp- special places, and I do too that we like to eat. And we tried some new places, and so we did dinner most every night in Charleston. But there were two places on the island in Isle of Palms that were rated number one and number two on the island. So the first night we got there, it was later, and we went we went to one of those for dinner, and it was fabulous. And we decided that the last night before we got ready to come home on Sunday morning, on Saturday night, we would go to the one that was rated number two. So all week long, I had been calling and around 3 o'clock in the afternoon and seeing if you needed a reservation to eat there. And if somebody required a reservation and we couldn't get it that night, we'd switch around and get it the other night. But most places didn't take reservations. But on Saturday, around 3 o'clock, I called the Long Island Cafe. They didn't even open until 4.30. I called at 3 o'clock and I said, yes, ma'am, I'd like to get a reservation for tonight. And she said, I'm sorry, sir, tonight is booked full. You know what I thought about this week as I prepared this message? I had all week long to make that reservation. But I didn't try to make it until after everything was booked and everything was full. There are people that sit in church every single Sunday, have every opportunity in the world to make that reservation, and they keep putting it off. And one of these days... It is going to be too late. I know there's going to be a lot of people who attend church who will know what's happened after the church is raptured. They'll remember. Oh, listen, you'll remember everything that you've heard about watching and waiting until the Lord comes. But when you were too busy, too impatient, you'll remember what the preacher said, preaching you the truth of the Word of God. Today's the day of salvation. You shouldn't put it off. You'll remember that it'll be too late. They'll remember what the Bible says is going to be happening at that time to those who were called away. But they'll be left behind because they just didn't think that Jesus would come when he did. And they weren't ready. Like the five foolish virgins, their lamps were trimmed and burning brightly. The light of the gospel was not in them. And the anointing of the Holy Ghost in their lives had been quenched out by disobedience to the word of God and extinguished by the sin in their heart. There'll be multitudes that thought their way was the right way. Hear me this morning. That won't be there. They'll discover too late that Muhammad, Allah, Buddha, and none of the gods that man has created or that Satan has used to deceive them, none of them can help them now. And they'll discover, listen, I'm not trying to knock any other denominations or religion, but I'm just going to preach you the word this morning. They'll discover that worship of the saints and praying to anybody other than Jesus Christ and the Father in heaven accomplished absolutely nothing for them except to soothe a guilty conscience, but it didn't touch or change the sin that was in their heart. There'll be a vast number who refuse to accept Jesus as their only way, who won't be there. The things that they thought would be their saving grace, the riches, the social programs, the political affiliations, the might and the power of the military, their government, nothing will be able to help them get a seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. There will be a lot of empty spaces that could have been occupied at the Father's dinner table. And I wonder right now, even in this church or listening to me online, right now I wonder how many of you won't be at that wedding feast. Are we persevering in our service and obedience to the Lord and His Word? Or have we begun to allow the weight of unrepentant sin to drag us down? 
I want you to look at what the Word says in Psalms, chapter 69, verses 27 and 28. If you want to know why I don't preach eternal salvation, right here it is. Somebody said, oh, the Lord, the Lord is merciful. He wouldn't do that if we turn to sin after we've been saved. Here's what it says. You just read it for yourself. It says, pile their sins up high. Don't let them go free. Watch this. Erase their names from the book of life. Think about that this morning. Don't let them be counted among the righteous. Erase their names from the book of life. That means just because you had a one-time experience, if you're not where you need to be with the Lord today, you need to, go, you need to make another trip back and make that reservation again. Somebody said, oh, now that's not necessary. Once we're saved, we're always saved. I read right here that it says he'll erase those names out of the book of life. As we sit around that great table in heaven, I wonder who won't be there. I wonder how many who have known the Lord, who trusted in him and began that journey of eternal life, how many of them will their names have been erased from the book that contains the names of everybody that was invited to that wedding feast. Well, they have allowed the cares of this life, maybe their own pride, little sins that aren't really little sins, big, huge, blatant, black, and condemning sins. Well, they have allowed that to keep them back. Well, they decide to live it up in this life only to give up the life that's eternal. I'm asking you today, how many chairs will actually be missing? There won't be empty seats, but there'll be chairs missing at that great banquet table in heaven. They come to the music this morning. Family, I don't believe it's going to be very long until this world's going to wrap it up. I really don't. You say every preacher says that when they're trying to convince people to get saved. Every week sometimes I wonder if we're still here for next Sunday. I wonder if next Sunday will be the last opportunity that we have to attend church together on this earth. And even if Jesus doesn't come for the church, here's the reality. None of us are promised tomorrow. Not a one of us. And I wonder how many of us won't be here in this life for next week, next month, or maybe even next year. Church, there's families who are in trouble today. And many of them are in the church. Why are they in trouble, Pastor? It's, it's not because they don't love one another. And I don't believe that the root causes are financial troubles, infidelity, or many of the other things that psychologists and psychiatrists try to use as reasons for divorce. You hear me this morning. I believe that the root cause, the root cause of all divorce is that we hold on to sin in our lives. And when you hold on to that sin in your life, it destroys trust, it destroys relationships, and it can eventually kill the love that God has given you for another person. Don't hide the sin. And don't allow somebody else to hide the sin. Don't keep enabling somebody else to hide the sin. I wonder how many of our families will no longer be families by next year. As I close this message this morning, I think it'd be really good for every single one of us to take inventory of our own lives, not the life of anybody else. Our own lives. 
and ask ourselves, is there anything in my life that would cause me to be missing from that great wedding reception in heaven at the Father's table? Is there a secret sin? Is there a wrong spirit? Is there a bad attitude? Is there an addiction? Is there something that will keep me from entering there? Some of us need to ask ourselves this. Are we sure that our name is still listed in the book of life? Where that reservation was written down? Or has our name been erased because of the sin? When I think about that, because I want to tell you the truth, I've been, I've been so concerned for some folks lately. Listen. And I pray nobody gets mad at me when I say this, but if they do, they do. I can try to help you by confronting your sin. And you can take your sin and continue to hide it and even go somewhere else to another church and work in that church. But if your sin is still unrepented of, you're still lost. That's the reality. That's not my words. Don't get mad at me. You can hide it from everybody you want to, but what you need to be asking is, do I know that I know that I know that my reservation is made and my name's written down in that Lamb's book of life? Because when the roll is called, if your name's not on the roll, it's too late to offer excuses. It's too late to run back and say, oh, Pastor Sean, you were right. I need to get rid of this. Help me get rid of this. I can't help you then. All I can do is help you now. Today is the day of salvation. Don't do what Achan did. Don't hide sin in your tent. Don't allow your soul to be lost and your name to be blotted out because you won't confront the sin that God's Word strictly forbids. And I've been so concerned and tore up about some people. I thought of one scripture that I'm really glad of. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 17 says, For the Lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of life-giving water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. You know what I thought about when I read that this week? I'm really glad that I won't know or remember any of the people that I've loved and cared about and prayed for who don't make it to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You may say, Pastor, that sounds horrible. I'm really glad I won't remember because I wouldn't be able to enjoy heaven. I wouldn't be able to enjoy that great day and that great celebration if my mind was consumed with all these people that didn't have a seat there. I want to tell you something this morning. As long as I'm here and as long as I'm living, I'm going to do everything I can to see that everybody in this room, everybody under the sound of my voice and, and even some that aren't, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I want us. I want to see every single member of this church sitting around that table. I want to see every single member of my family sitting around that table. I want to see all of your children and your lost family sitting around that table. I want to see Corbin in the Tri-County area sitting around that table. I don't want anybody to be lost. I don't want anybody to be left. And as long as there's breath in my body, I'm going to do everything I can to compel people to run to the foot of the cross and allow God to make that reservation with them. If you'll stand with me all over the room this morning, here's the reality, folks. They're about to sing. But the choice of whether you'll be there or not, it's your choice. I can't make it for you. 
It's your choice and yours alone. Will your chair be missing at the Father's table? Is your reservation made? And are you sure that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life? If you can't pray for anything else this morning, you ought to be able to pray that all of us will be there. You ought to be able to pray that all your family will be there. You ought to be able to pray that there won't be any missing chairs around us. Pray for one another. Love one another. And do this. Tell everybody you know Jesus is coming soon. Tell everybody, thank you, you know that Jesus is coming soon. Folks, I'm not just trying to fill some time this Sunday afternoon by giving you a little inspirational message. I'm trying to tell you we don't got time to wait. We ain't got time to be lapsadaisical. We ain't got time to be playing church. We ain't got time to be doing a production up here that just draws people to come for the performance. Know what we need to be doing? We need to be seeking experience over entertainment. We need to be experiencing anointing over just something that, that, that people just want to see and be a part of. We ain't got time to play. Time's running out. And there's going to be people who don't have a reservation. They don't have a seat at that table. They're going to sing in just a moment. I want to ask you to do two things. I want to ask as many that will to come and pray with us. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider your own reservation. I want you to make sure it's it's ready, it's secured. And then I want you to make a commitment to God to do everything you can to fill every seat that we can fill.